Go to, with me to Matthew chapter 7. While you're turning there, I just want to give you a short illustration. It's about a little boy who one day came to his mother and asked his mother for a peanut butter sandwich. He says, Mom, can you make me a peanut butter sandwich? And the mother said, sure, son. So she goes into the kitchen and prepares his peanut butter sandwich, and he brings it to him in a plate. And, you know, he takes the sandwich, and he looks at it, and he smiles. And he says, Mama, I asked you for a peanut butter sandwich, and you added jelly, too. Do you know what mercy is? Mercy is when God not only gives you what you ask for, but he adds a little extra on it as well. Mercy is God giving you more than you deserve. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, it says this. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Tonight, I want to talk to you about understanding the mercy of God and understanding the nature of his mercy, how his mercy works and, and how important mercy is in our everyday lives. Because let's face it, without mercy, where would we be? I like the, uh, this verse of scripture in Lamentations chapter 3, a very powerful verse of scripture. And it says, though the Lord, I'm sorry, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. That is so awesome. In, in other words, instead of God dealing with us in judgment, God deals with us in mercy. But before we can truly understand mercy, let's be honest. Understanding mercy is difficult for many people. And, you know, and the reason for that is because we live in a generation that tends to be a generation that says, I'm going to get him for that. Or I hope he gets what he deserves. Amen? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say that many of you, if not all of you, have a strong sense of justice. Let me give you an example. How many of you, when you're watching a movie, and it's a movie that where good versus evil... How many of you find yourself rooting for the good guy? Right? I would pray for you if you're rooting for the bad guy. <laughs> and how many of you want to see good prevail over evil? Right? And how many of you, and let's be honest, want to see the bad guy in the movie get what he deserves? Yeah, we all do. Why? Because there's a sense of justice in us. <laughs> yeah, some of us want him dead. <laughs> Let me give you another example. Some of you probably experienced this. You're on a highway, you're driving, and then by, and as you're looking through the rearview mirror, you see this sports car driving really fast, weaving in and out of traffic, and it's coming right towards you, and you're wondering, oh man, this car is coming, it's gaining on me, and it looks like he's going to rear-end you, but then at the last minute, switches lane, and then zooms right by you, and then weaving in, 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 in and out of traffic in front of you. Now, Again, let's be honest, we're in church now. But how many of you either utter the words or even think this word, this thought? I hope this guy gets caught. Every one of us, right? Right? And let's say, for instance, you're driving along the road 
And you see that very same sports car parked along the side of the, the road with the state police parked right behind him. How do you feel then? We feel justified, right? Our sense of justice had been satisfied. Why? Because he got what he deserved. Amen? Let me share with you the trouble with that thinking. When we stand before God, would we want him to give us what we really deserve? Or would we rather have mercy? We'd rather have mercy, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The mercy of God, understanding his mercy. Go to Romans chapter 3. The good news is that God is merciful even to the worst offenders. Even to the worst sinners. Even to the worst lawbreakers. And we're going to look at that tonight. But Romans chapter 3. There's a, a small town in England called Olney, England. And you know one of those old churches with, with a cemetery in the back? Well, there's an old churchyard cemetery there. And in that cemetery, there's an old granite tombstone with this inscription. It says this. John Newton, clerk... Now, clerk is an old term for pastor. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and a libertine. Now, a libertine is someone who has no moral principles or no sense of responsibility and lives a life that is unrestrained. Someone like that in this day and age we would call a philanderer or a playboy. So the inscription says, John Newton, clerk or pastor, once an infidel and a libertine, a servant of slavery in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith that he had long uh, labored to destroy. Now, you may not remember the man's name, but all of us know the song that he had had written as a testimony to his life. And that song is Amazing Grace. Grace. John Newton saw himself as one of the worst sinners of all. But God, in his mercy, restored him, preserved him, and pardoned him, and appointed him to do the work of the ministry. Only God can do that. Amen. Amen. So, basically, when we talk about mercy, mercy means that when we deserve punishment, he doesn't punish us. But instead, he blesses us. That's the jelly with the peanut butter. That's the little extra that God gives us. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So here's the thing. God's dilemma was how to satisfy his own righteousness And his demands against sinful, rebellious people. And at the same time, how can he demonstrate his love, his grace, and his mercy to restore a rebellious, sinful people? And the solution was Christ Jesus. So it was his death and the shedding of his blood that God's, in other words, the fact that Jesus died and shed his blood, that was enough to satisfy God's righteousness. His righteousness was vindicated and it was satisfied. So therefore, God was able to declare all believing sinners as righteous through his death. The fact that instead of God giving us what we deserve, God placed that on his son, Jesus. 
so that we can be declared righteous. Not be made righteous, but be declared as righteous. There's a difference. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. So instead of being punished like we deserve, he declared us innocent of all unrighteousness because justice had been served through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12 says this. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Even when we don't deserve it. So let's take a look at a closer look at mercy. Go to Nehemiah chapter 9. Many theologians describe the mercy as God's kindness, tenderheartedness, and loving compassion for his people. And we're going to take a look at many of the characteristics of mercy. But mercy is not getting what we do deserve. So here we receive the story where Nehemiah had led his people to rebuild the walls and the, and the gates of Jerusalem. After they had done that, they began to celebrate and began to rejoice. Then they got really serious and began to fast and pray. Then they began to read the laws of Moses. And then a group of Levites got together and had everyone stand up and they began to pray and worship God. And as they were praying, they were, beginning to, they were praying and magnifying all that God has done. Going back to the time when God had delivered them from Egypt, to the time that God had led them through the Red Sea, to the time that God had provided them and protected them and preserved them through the wilderness, all the way to the time that God had helped them get into the promised land, all the wonderful things that God had done in their lives. But also, they began to talk about all the rotten things that God's people did. All the things that they've, 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 the way they've acted, the way they've behaved, the ungratefulness, the rebellion, and everything else. And so we pick up in verse 16 where it says this. But they and our fathers acted proudly. They hardened their necks, and they did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. Now, after reading this, you kind of want to say, you know what? Forget you. I'm done with you. You're on your own. But this is what God did. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Look at verse 18. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt and worked great provocations. Verse 19. Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go some of the characteristics of mercy is how he's ready to pardon and we'll talk a little about that later how he's gracious how he's abundant in kindness how he's slow to anger and how he's not willing to forsake them that to me is mind-boggling that a people can be that way and treat God that way and be ungrateful and forget all that God had done. Yet God is unwilling to forsake them. 
He was unwilling to abandon them. Where if it was you and I, we would have left them a long time ago. But thank God, God is not like us. Amen? So even though these people were ungrateful, yet God in his mercy was kind, was tenderhearted, was patient, was not willing to leave them or abandon them, and was quick to pardon them. That's the mercy of God. Go to Psalm 103. God is the source of all mercy. In 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He is called the Father of mercies because he is the source of all mercy. As a matter of fact, mercy is a part of God's nature. Mercy is who God is. In Psalm 103, in verse 2, as a matter of fact, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then it begins to list a number of benefits from God. One of those benefits is mercy. Look at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. In other words, God will not fly off the handle every time we mess up. Yeah, thank God is right. Because when we think about how many times we messed up, boy, I say we can thank the Lord for his mercy. Because of all the mistakes that he has put up with, God will not get angry with you. He's not quick to fly off the handle and say, forget you, I'm done. No, he's unwilling to abandon you. He's willing to stick it out with you. Nothing, how many of you would agree with me when I say this? Nothing makes people angrier than people. Would you agree with me? But thank God, God is not like people. Because he doesn't fly off the handle, he doesn't get aggravated, doesn't be quick-tempered or anything like that. God is patient and slow to anger. Look down in verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. This is the way the message translation says it. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. Are you seeing this? God is mercy. In other words, God can't help but to be merciful. It's in him. It's who he is. It would be out of character for God not to love you or not to be merciful to you because that's not who he is. He is mercy. He cannot help but to be merciful. Look down in verse 11. To what degree is God's mercy towards us? What is the extent of his mercy? Well, verse 11 says this. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. He says that as the heavens are high above the earth, what is the distance between the heavens and the earth? No one really knows. The distance between earth and the, the earth atmosphere is about 60 miles. The distance between earth and the sun is over 92 million miles. So imagine how far this, the heavens are from earth. That is how great God's mercy is towards us. That is the extent of his mercy. 
It is immeasurable. Then it goes on to say in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now it's interesting that God would use east and west instead of north and south. Because you see, north and south can be measured. If you go up north, as far north as you can, you end up in the North Pole. Then you make that turn and you're heading south. So it can be measured, but east and west, however, you cannot measure. If you travel east and go as far east as you can, you're going to continue going east and you won't even run into west. Same thing if you head west. You'll continue west and continue on and not even run into east. Because you see, east and west does not meet in one point. It is infinite. That's how far God separates us from our sins and the punishment that comes with it. And you know, here's the thing. We can come to God with our sins and be able to move from that and be able to move on with our lives knowing how far God has removed our sin. Because now it's never around for, to, to remind us of it. And you see, it's so wonderful that God chose the, the furthest distance to remove us from our sins so that we won't be constantly reminded of it. That's the mercy of God. Go to Micah chapter 7. This particular verse was something that Pastor Kurt had touched on last week. It's a powerful verse. I love this verse. It says, who is God like you? Who forgives iniquity and passes over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage or his people. But he retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy and in loving kindness. The fact that God desires mercy. As a matter of fact, hold that thought right there. Go to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. And verse 23. Says this. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Is it God's desire to see the wicked die? The answer is no. It is his desire to see them return and live. God is more ready to forgive than he is to punish. God always stands ready to save rather than to destroy. As a matter of fact, nothing makes God more happy than having the opportunity to show mercy whenever we come to him for it. Because he delights in mercy. God would rather forgive you than rather to punish you. You can say that mercy is God's specialty. <laughs> because you see, mercy is seen as a quality that is in God. That draws him into having a relationship with a people that absolutely do not deserve to be in relationship with a God that is righteous or holy. Yet because he delights in mercy, he wants and desires relationship with us. He's really, he's, he's, you know, it's, you know it's, if you were angry with your spouse and your spouse did something that you considered to be unforgivable... It's very hard to receive that spouse back and forgive them. I mean, you'll forgive them eventually, I would hope. But it's very hard because the relationship got strained because of, the, because of whatever it was that was done. But with God, 
regardless of what we've done, he's always willing to take you in and restore you back in right relationship, regardless of what you did. That's the mercy of God. God is not part mercy. He is mercy. I'm amazed how God could forgive me for everything I've ever done, all the bad decisions I've ever made, all the wrong things I've did in my life, things that I'm not proud of, things that I'm ashamed of, things that, that I'm embarrassed about, things that I regret. Yet God was able to forgive me and restore me and not hold that against me but took me in and had relationship with me and me with him and still be able to use me in spite of myself, in spite of all my wrongdoings. That's the mercy of God. Mercy, go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Mercy will change the outcome of your circumstances. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you knew you weren't supposed to be there or you knew you weren't supposed to do it, but you did it? Or you went there and you found yourself in a very bad situation? Mercy will change the outcome of your circumstances. In James chapter 5 and verse 11, it says this. We give great honor in the New Living Translation. I know that's not in part of my references. Oh, but praise God you found it. Okay, well, I'll read from the New King James Version. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job or the patience of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. You know the story of Job. You know what he had went through. But God had blessed his end. You see, listen to me. Your circumstances does not determine your end. Mercy will determine your end. And in spite of all that Job had suffered, because he persevered, God in his great mercy blessed him in the end. As a matter of fact, Job 42 verse 10 says that God blessed him twice as much as he had before. Because of his mercy. His mercy will determine your end, not the circumstances. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, you know, mercy is always available. In Psalm 136, 36 times the word mercy is mentioned. 36 times you read, his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. That means his mercy will always be available, always and eternally present. And it can never run out because his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. There is a a supply of mercy always waiting at the door. As a matter of fact, Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 23 says that his mercies are new and fresh every morning. So a new and fresh supply of mercy is waiting for us each day. A new batch of mercy is made available to us. Someone says that the reason why we have a new batch of mercies every morning is because we used up the whole batch yesterday. So we need, we need a whole new batch the next day. But his mercies are always available. Go to Genesis chapter 19. God's mercy can save your life. 
I can remember a time when I made some, some really boneheaded decision that really came, where I came close to really either going to jail or losing my life. And, you know, I think back and I realize, man, how stupid was I? I mean, I couldn't believe how stupid I was. But that's because I just didn't have God in me. God was not a part of my life. So, you know, you tend to do some stupid things. But his mercy, man, I tell you, protected me. Look at Genesis chapter 19. This is a story where God was about to bring judgment upon Sodom. And Moses had been praying, interceding, and he said, Lord, if there be 50 righteous people in the city, would you spare this city for their sake? And God says, yes, I will. He said, Lord, if there be 45 people that are righteous, would you spare this city for their sake? And God says, yes, I will. Lord, if, you, if, if there are 40 righteous people, 30 righteous people, 20, 10, Lord, if there are any righteous people, would you save them? And God said, yes. Unfortunately, there are only four righteous people. Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. And God knew that. So God, what he did was send angels to the city of Sodom to warn Lot. And we pick up in verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. If someone told you you need to leave your house because there's a bomb that's ready to go off, would you hurry or would you inquire? Will you talk about, well, how powerful is this bomb? How is it detonated? Would you want to understand the technical side of the bomb or would you pack your bags and leave? When the angel of the Lord tells you to hurry, you better hurry. But look at verse 16. And while he lingered, that's Lot. Now the word lingered means to be reluctant or to hesitate. Now I can't imagine what Lot was thinking. That when the angel said the city was about to be destroyed, you better get out. But yet he hesitated and was reluctant. There are some of you here today that have been hesitant and reluctant to move on. Perhaps maybe reluctant about leaving a bad relationship or a bad situation. But there are some of you here that God has already told you, you need to get out. But you're hesitant and reluctant about it. If I were you, I would tend to heed the Lord's word and do as he said. But look at what, what happens after that. While he lingered. The men, these angels, took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside of the city, saving their lives. So the angels of the Lord had to literally and physically drag them out of the city by the hand to save them. Why? Because of God's mercy. God's mercy can save your life, can save you. From getting involved in a bad situation or in a bad relationship. Go to Psalm 51. And in verse 1. Mercy helps lead us to repentance. When you know that you have a merciful. You know it's. And I'm talking to the spouses here. The husbands and wives. That when you. Angry with your wife or your husband. Because of something that they've done. And you being the spouse knew you were wrong. But yet, because of pride, you don't want to apologize. How many of you know what I'm talking about here? Okay, stop lying. I know that some of you know, you all know what I'm talking about. 
So pride causes us to, to want to, uh, it prevents us from apologizing and making things right. Because you say, well, you know, if I, if I, say, uh, if I say I'm sorry, I'm going to hear this lecture. I'm going to hear I told you so. I'm going to hear all this story. I don't want to hear that. You know, just forgive me and just let's forget it. When we know that God is so merciful that he's really too ready to restore you, that the fact that God delights in mercy, the fact that God is ready to pardon you rather than to punish you, it's easy to go to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I messed up, I blew it. But that's what the mercy of God does. It leads us to repentance because God is not going to beat you upside the head and say, I told you so. No, God is better than that. In Psalm 51, we read the story where, where David had committed adultery. And after committing adultery, you know, it's interesting because it says that he was walking upon a roof. And he happened to see Bathsheba taking a bath. He just was. He just didn't happen to glance. He was actually watching. That's no different than someone watching pornography. It forms images in your mind and then stirs up all these lustful desires in your heart. And of course, after seeing that, David sent a servant to go and send for her. Now, when a servant of the king knocks on your door and says, the king wants to see you, you don't argue with him. You go. And of course, one thing led to another and he committed adultery with her. And on top of that, he ended up getting her pregnant. And the fact that he tried to cover it up by having her husband come back from the battlefront so he can spend time with his wife, well, that didn't work out either. So what did he do? He got rid of him. You see how one sin always leads to another, especially when you're trying to cover it up? The Bible warns us repeatedly about how our sin will come back and bite us. As a matter of fact, what we think we're doing in private will eventually come out in public. So know that there are consequences to our sin because if we continue or persist in a known sin, it's going to come back and we're going to eventually face the music. Now, don't take my word for that. Look over in Luke chapter 8. Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Because whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 17, Jesus warns us and says, For all that is secret will eventually be brought out into the open. And everything that is concealed will be brought out to light and made known to all. Now go to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers 32 and verse 23. It says this, but if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Now, how does the mercy of God play in all of this? Well, when God saw, understand that God sees everything you you, you do, right? You do know that. David thought he was getting away with something. He thought that he closed the deal. No one will ever find out. Uriah is gone. Now I can take Bathsheba, take her to my wife. People will think I've done the noble thing. But God knew better. So what God did, he sent Nathan the prophet to confront David about his sin and expose him. Know that that is the mercy of God. 
Now, that might seem to you, well, why would God do that? Expose me and embarrass me. Well, here's the thing. God loves you too much to allow you to continue down that path when he knows it's going to lead you to destruction. God's desire is to show mercy and forgive you and pardon you. But if you're not going to get your act together, there's only so much that God can do. And if it means scraping your knee, if it means stubbing your toe a little bit, then so be it. Because if it means saving you, then that's God's mercy. And of course, when Nathan confronted David, David wept bitterly and cried. And that's what leads us to uh, Psalm 51, where he says in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to the multitude of your tender mercy and loving kindness, blot out my transgression. Know this. God's mercy always stands at the door ready to pardon. But he cannot pardon until you come to him and acknowledge your sin and say, Lord, I blew it. And repent. And then God will shower you with abundance of mercy. Go to Revelation chapter 2. God delights in mercy. Revelation chapter 2. Here we see one of the letters uh, to the seven churches. And here's one of the churches that this letter was written to. And it's the, the church of Thyatira. And beginning in verse 19. It says, I know your works. Love, service, faith, and your patience. As for your works... The last are more than the first. Verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, this is what blows my mind in verse 21. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. God's mercy will not only lead you to repentance, but it also gives you time. The the, uh, King James Version says space. The word space in the Greek really means time or season. And like any season, season ends. And God gives us a season or time To get our acts together. That's the mercy of God. As a matter of fact, in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 30, the Bible says that God had put up with the children of Israel for many years. Many years. God showed mercy to the people during the days of Noah. It took Noah a hundred years to build the ark. And a hundred years the people had to get their acts together and they didn't. Look at what 2 Peter 3, 9 says. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any man should perish, there's the mercy of God, but that all should come to repentance. Romans 2 and verse 4 says this. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, And not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance.
God is a God of mercy. Just as he is love, he is also mercy. Just as he is holy, he is mercy. Just as he is righteous, he is mercy. He cannot help but to be merciful. And the fact that God is waiting in the wings, at the door, ready to pounce mercy all over you. When we come to him, every time we've blown it, every time we've made a mistake. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 1. I, I love this. And I'm going to read this in the Amplified Version. Mercy combined with grace can transform your life. Paul was, uh, was a perfect example. In verse 13 he says, Though I formerly blasphemed and persecuted and was shamefully and outrageously and aggressively insulting him, that is Jesus, nevertheless I obtained mercy. And the grace, you know, mercy and grace is like a two-sided coin. You have grace on one side of the coin, mercy on the other side. When you receive mercy, you also receive grace. When you see grace, you receive mercy. And he says, and the mercy of our Lord and the grace of God, the unmerited favor and blessing of our Lord actually float out super abundantly and beyond measure for me, accompanied by my faith, by faith and love that are to be realized in Christ Jesus. A man like Paul who did what he did and he was vicious and violent and diligent in what he did. He hated Christians. And he hated the name Jesus. And he did everything he could to try to stop it and end it and destroy it. Yet the Bible says, I obtained mercy. And not only mercy, but grace. Super abundantly and overflowing and beyond measure. And called them into the ministry. He says, and counted me worthy to be in the ministry. To serve. There are many people whose past has haunted them. Who are going around carrying out this heavy weight of guilt and condemnation. And feeling like God can't use them or God can't forgive them. And God can't accept them because of what they've done. They feel ashamed and embarrassed about what they've done. And it's been, they've been carrying it all their lives. Let me share a story with you. How many of you heard the story of the duck and the devil? No? Well, you, this is your blessed night then. You're going to get to hear it. There was a little boy and his sister named Sally, Johnny and Sally. They came to visit their grandparents who lived in the farm. And so they decided to stay with them for a little while. Grandpa made a nice, neat slingshot for his grandson, Johnny. And he gave it to him. So Johnny took it and went into the woods and started playing with it and practicing it. But Johnny couldn't hit a side of the barn. He had a hard time getting the hang of it. So being discouraged, decided to head back to the farm, back to the house. And so as he was going to the house, he saw his grandmother's pet duck. And so out of impulse, he pulled out his, his slingshot. He got a rock and just took aim and let it go. And bam, upside the head, the duck died, killing the duck. Now, you can imagine how Johnny felt. First of all, he was shocked that he even hit anything. But he also felt grieved because he killed his grandmother's pet duck. So out of panic, he takes the duck and he hides it behind the woodshed. Unbeknownst to him, he noticed as he looked up, his sister Sally was standing there. You see, Sally saw the whole thing. But she said nothing. So the next day after lunch, um, Grandma said, Sally, help me with the dishes. And Sally said, Grandma, 
Johnny said he loved to help you with the dishes. And then she leans over and says, remember the duck. So Johnny stood behind and did the dishes. Later on that evening, Grandpa says, who wants to go fishing? Johnny and Sally says, I do, I do, I do. And Grandma says, no, well, wait, Sally, I need Sally because I need her to help me to make supper. Sally, smiling, says, Grandma, Johnny said he would love to help you to do dinner. And then she leans over and says, remember the duck. So Sally went fishing and Johnny stood behind to help his grandmother do the, the supper. So after several days of doing his chores and Sally's chores, after a while, he just got tired of it. And he said, you know what? Forget this. So he went to his grandma and confessed everything. This is what I want you to hear. So when he told his grandma that he killed the duck, grandma says this. First of all, she kneeled down and gave him a big hug and said, sweetheart, I know. You see, I was standing at the window and I saw the whole thing. But because I love you, I've forgiven you. And then she said this. But how long was you going to allow Sally to be your slave or to be a slave to her? How long would you continue to be a slave to her? And I shared that story with you because whatever your past is, whatever you've ever done, no matter how shameful, how hurtful, how awful, how embarrassing, how regrettable. Whatever it is that you did, understand that the devil is going to be constantly whispering to you and reminding you of what you've done. Remember that you did this. Remember that you did that. Making you feel like you're unworthy. Making you feel like you can't come to God. Making you feel like you can't get involved in ministry. Making you feel like, like all this guilt and condemnation, carrying this weight, feeling like I'm, I don't amount to anything. Where do I fit in God's kingdom? God won't accept me because of what I've done. What I've done was awful. I had a cousin who I was trying to witness to. And he told me this. The words that came out of his mouth was, I don't know if God could ever forgive me. I did some awful things. He could not understand the mercy of God. But understand this. That no matter what you've done, know this. That God was standing at the window watching and he saw the whole thing. As a matter of fact, God saw your whole life. But because he loves you, He's forgiven you. And he's waiting to shower his mercy if you just come to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. What happens? You know, you heard the story of of Daniel in the lion's den. And how he got into the lion's den was not nothing he did. It was his enemies that caused him to be in the lion's den. They conspired against him. But yet God showed great mercy. Shut up the lion's mouth so that he won't be eaten. Isn't it interesting that when they pull him out and they threw his enemies in, all of a sudden the lions had an appetite. And they devoured. I mean, it's almost like they were waiting for a, for a meal to be supersized. But what happens if you create your own lion's den? Because of something you've done. What do you do? 
You made the mess. You created it. You've put yourself in that situation. What do you do? You do what David did. You place yourself at the mercy of God. And you say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I blew it. Lord, it was me. I was the one that did it. I was the one that messed up. I was the one that blew it. Lord, it was me. I'm the reason why my finances is such a mess. I'm the reason why my marriage is falling apart. Lord, I'm the reason why my, I'm going to get terminated from my job. Lord, it was me. And then you plead the mercy of God. I said, Lord, have mercy on me. And God, who delights in mercy, will shower you with all the mercy that you need. It's, it's sufficient enough to get you back in right relationship with him. Glory to God. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has separated us from our sins. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say here. I'm not saying that that you have to go around failing and sinning on purpose because of God's mercy. You can't take God's mercy for granted. But know this, that God is willing to forgive and to pardon everything you've done as long as you come to him, acknowledging your sin and saying, Lord, I repent. I blew it. I messed up. Be honest with God. And God is merciful, merciful enough to take you in and shower you with the mercies of God. Let me end with this. If you notice that on Sunday mornings, we, we record our, our first service, um, Sunday morning services, the first service. But before it goes out to air, before we put it out in channel 12, uh, it has to go through a process. And, um, you know, it's called an editing process. Where you take out all the things, all the mistakes and all the things that don't belong there. You know, the editing process sort of takes all the inappropriate things out. And once all the editing parts are out, then the remaining parts are reconnected and put together and made it look as though it wasn't messed with. So when it's aired out on Channel 12, it looks nice and it just flows and it's beautiful. God does the same thing with us. He takes us and takes the things and edits the parts in our lives that don't belong there. And then what he does, he reconnects. Once the parts that don't belong in our lives are taken out, then he reconnects us back as though nothing was wrong in our lives. And making us whole so that we can walk victoriously and freely without any feelings of guilt and condemnation. Because God's mercy has been shed abroad in our hearts and in our lives. Let me leave you this last verse. One of my favorite verses in Psalm 23, in, in uh, verse 6, says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow you. The word follow means to chase after or to run after or to pursue. Surely goodness and mercy will chase me, pursue, come after me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy. 
Father, I thank you, Father God, that mercy has been available to us. Lord, I thank you for the abundance of mercy that you have waiting for us. Lord, that mercy that is everlasting, mercy that endures forever. Father, I thank you. And Father, if there is any sin in our lives, any unconfessed things in our lives, Father, we bring it before you tonight right now. And Father, we say, Lord, I'm the one at fault. I'm the one that blew it. I acknowledge my sin, Lord God. And Lord, I thank you for not only forgiving me, but restoring me back in right relationship with you and showering me with your great mercy. Father, we thank you. And we honor you and appreciate all that you've done. For this, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.